Please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Give you a little quiz as you're turning there. Does anybody remember when Mother's Day started? Somebody actually first service got it, got the exact year the Mother's Day started. Anybody know? I couldn't hear you, Brenda. 1902, very close, that's really good. That's really, that's very close. We only had one person, it was 1914, okay, early 1900s. The tradition actually, the idea for it started right after the Civil War. There was a woman named uh, Anna Reeves Jarvis. She was um, teaching her Sunday school class and the, the United States was still grieving over the loss of so many young men in the Civil War. And uh, while she was teaching her Sunday school class, she finished the class and she prayed. And in her prayer, she prayed that one day there would be a day of remembrance for the sacrifices that mothers had made to keep the country together. And her daughter, Anna, little Anna, heard this prayer and it stuck with her her whole life. When her mom died, she, uh, at the memorial service for her mother, she handed out a red carnation to everyone there as a memorial or remembrance. That was May 10th, uh, about 1906, I think, 1904, 1906. Uh, when she handed out the red carnation. And then that tradition from her mom's memorial service began to spread from city to city to city. Uh, Eventually, I think it was 1914, President Wilson declared, second Sunday of May will be a memorial or remembrance. You'll raise the flag and remember the sacrifices that mothers have made and celebrate moms and all that they've done. So I say that just because, you know, it's okay if you forget Father's Day, but you should never forget Mother's Day. So maybe that story will help it stick, all right? We've got a little tradition going here that uh, started a few years ago. We're going to remember a couple of moms, celebrate a couple of moms this morning. First mom we want to celebrate is um, our, our mother of longest duration. Okay, not our oldest mother, but our mother of longest duration. This is no admission of age. It has nothing to do with age. But how long have you been a mom? So uh, I'm going to hand out some flowers here. So the tradition was for... Um, Carnations, but we're taking it up a notch today. We're doing red roses, all right? So, um, do we have any moms who have been mothers 45 years or longer? Raise your hand. 45 years or longer. Okay, I see a couple back here and one here. All right, good. We've got to play off and down here. Okay. 50 years or longer. Still in the game. Okay, 55 years or longer. We'll take that. How about 54 years? 55 years? So good? Okay, we have a winner. All right. Congratulations. Okay, now we want to celebrate the newest mom. So if you have 12 kids and you just had a baby, that doesn't count, right? This is first-time moms, brand-new moms. Who, do we have any moms who have been uh, a mother six months or less? Okay. Any others? Six months or less. I have one right here. All right. Congratulations. It's, it's weeks, right? How, how long? Three weeks. Oh, congratulations. That's awesome. And then there's one other mom that I want to celebrate, my wife, where is she? she was, do you move to the back? Okay. You can get these later. I won't make you come up. All right. Yeah. We learn a lot of lessons from our moms, don't we? 
Uh, it's in our home that we receive the foundation for our entire lives, uh, our value system. What, what really, really matters in life. Uh, our character is formed there, the basis on which we make decisions and choices for our entire lives. So I was thinking about it the last few days. I, I decided I'm just put Philippians on hold. We'll finish it next week. Kind of made a last minute change. And I thought, I, re- I want to take this opportunity to celebrate since it just comes around once a year on Sunday morning, uh, what moms do for us. Moms, I, I think that sometimes you're not consciously aware of it, but the simple lessons that we learn at home are actually the foundation for a life of worship. And we don't often put it in these terms, but I think you'll see the connection. If you look in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, through him then, it says, through Jesus, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Remember the background of Hebrews. The author is demonstrating that the Old Testament sacrificial system is done because it is no longer operative based on the sacrifice of Christ. There's no need to offer bulls and goats day after day, week after week, month after month, because Jesus Christ has come and he has made a full and final and complete sacrifice. So now we boldly approach the throne of God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He was the sacrifice. And if you believe in him, you have eternal life. That's what Hebrews is all about. Now, does that mean that we no longer offer sacrifices of any type? No. Sacrifice is at the heart of worship. We don't offer blood sacrifices because the blood of Christ has paid the final payment for our sins. But we still make sacrifices. And it's interesting, if you look back in the Old Testament, even Old Testament believers began to understand that the animal itself and killing the animal was not the essence of worship. There was something that God was trying to teach through the sacrificial system that was far deeper than that. I want you to turn back to the book of Psalms with me. Psalms chapter 50 In verse 8, Psalm 50, verse 8, the Lord is speaking. He says, I do not reprove you for your sacrifices and your burnt offerings are continually before me. I shall take no young bull out of your house nor male goats out of your folds for every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all it contains. God is saying, I I don't actually need you to come and make an animal sacrifice. That's not the point of the animal sacrifice. I'm not hungry and so I'm asking you for a meal and you burn it up and somehow I'm, I'm satisfied or filled with that. Remember, God is spirit. That's not the point. He's saying there's something much more significant. For them, the sacrificial system, the shedding of blood reminded them that death was the payment for sin. But also, they begin to realize that sacrifice is at the heart of worship. Worship is costly in that sense. Remember David, when he wanted uh, to check the plague that's coming through Israel on account of his sin, he goes to Arauna, who owned this threshing floor where the, the angel of the Lord is standing, and he says, I want to buy that threshing floor so I can make a sacrifice to God and death can stop in Israel. And Arauna says, well, let me just give it to you then. And David said, no, I can't make an offering to my Lord that costs me nothing. In the sacrificial system, there was a demonstration to the people that God is worthy of our best. God is worthy of our best. 
And they were learning too that it wasn't about the animal itself. Turn to one other psalm and look. Psalm chapter 69 and verse 30. David says, I will praise the name of God with song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving and it will please the Lord better than an ox or a young bull with horns and hoofs. David says, I'm gonna sing about the greatness of God because what God really wants in worship is he wants my heart. He wants me to value him more than I value anything else and then to declare that I value him more than I value anything else. That is the essence of praise. Sometimes we, we over-theologize praise. Praise is simply valuing something, and because we value it, we talk about it all the time. And I would say that we learn how to praise, which is one of the fundamental acts of worship, we learn how to praise at home. We learn it from our mothers. Moms, you may not think of it in these terms, that you're teaching your children how to praise, but you are. What do mothers value? They value their children. What do they talk about? They talk about their children. And when they're together, they're talking about their children, their children's accomplishments, their children's needs, their children's character and personality because they value their children so highly. They talk to their children and they instill value in their children's hearts through their words. A child comes and brings an offering to mommy. Right? I've drawn this for you, mommy. And Billy comes and he presents his offering. And mommy says, oh, Billy, that is the most amazing spaceship I've ever seen in my life. Oh, it's a horse. That is the most beautiful horse I've ever seen. And she praises him, not because it looks like a spaceship or a horse or whatever, but because she values the child. She values the child and she begins to instill this sense of value in the child and she begins to subtly train the child to speak about the things that you value. That is worship. That is worship. And moms, that is what you are doing for your children. And when we walk with the Lord and we really are valuing what is actually valuable and we're not being distracted by the world and we're speaking about things that really matter, we train our children how to worship. We train them to value God, to value one another, to see their own value in light of the fact that they're creatures made in the image of God. That is what we exist for. That's why we've been made. Worship is the most fundamental human activity. God is creator and we are creatures. And so it is natural for us to look up to him and say, thank you. Thank you for existence. Thank you for sustenance. Thank you, God. I am made to worship. That's why I'm here. Let me illustrate that for you. A couple of verses, one from the New Testament, one from the Old. 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race. He's speaking of the church. He's speaking of us. He says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Why did God grab you, body of Christ, And take you out of darkness and death and bring you into light and life. It is so that you would proclaim how great he is to the world. That is why you're made. That is why you've been redeemed. In the Old Testament, the Lord is speaking of the nation of Israel. He says, the people whom I have formed for myself, they will declare my praise. Why did God choose the nation of Israel? Why has he chosen the church so that we would live in this world and we would proclaim his praise? That is the essence of worship. We speak out of what we value in our hearts. 
And at home, we learn to value what's most important, and then we learn how to speak about it. And one of the things we're trying to do with our kids is we're trying to to teach them to see, to observe. Because there's so much going on in life that we we just pass right by. We're moving so quickly that we don't stop and actually see it and observe it. And, and be grateful for it. Uh, this last spring, uh, the Blue Bonnets really captivated our kids. I don't know if it's, they came out earlier. They, they, there just seemed to be more of them. They lasted longer. And they were just captivating. They were always wanting to stop and to look at these and uh, to examine them. And, you know, and I wanted them to, to have that opportunity. Let's think about this flower and how it's different from others. And then let's go beyond that and acknowledge God created this. Isn't God creative? He could have made every flower gray. But he didn't. He made some bright red and bright blue and yellow and purple. What's your favorite? Aren't you grateful that God did this? And he put these here on earth for us to enjoy and appreciate. Let's thank the creator. What we're doing is we're doing theology. You know, theology means most literally a word about God. And it's everywhere around us, but we need to stop and to see it so that we can turn just a a simple observation into praise. So Deuteronomy 6 is about. Remember Deuteronomy 6 is kind of the central statement of faith for Jewish believers. It says, hear, O Israel. Pay attention, Israel. This is fundamental to your faith. The Lord God is one. Just one Lord. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He will be the center of your passion in life. Now, these laws that I'm commanding you that teach you about the Lord, I want you to talk about them. I want you to do theology as you're driving down Highway 6 and you see the blue bonnets. Let's, let's, let's intentionally do theology and let's stop and praise. Let's see and observe and turn it into praise. I would argue we first learn to do that at home. Okay, that's, that's a value and that's a, a skill that we learn at home. Mothers, I, I want you to, to be um, aware of the fact that you may not even notice that subtly what you are doing with your children is you're teaching them what is really valuable in life and you're teaching them to speak about it and to praise it. Second thing that we learn from our mothers in terms of worship is simply to do good. Turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 13 again and verse 15. Hebrews 13 verse 15 Again, he says, through him then, that is through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. What is praise? The fruit of lips, that is the overflow of a heart that speaks and gives thanks to his name, his character, his uh, his attributes. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Notice the sacrificial language, the worship language. What is doing good? Well, doing good on behalf of Jesus Christ, that's worship. It's worship. We don't often think of it in those terms, but it is worship. A great book I would encourage you to read sometime. It's by Robert Fulgham. It's called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. came out several years ago. It's a series of short essays, and he's great at just observing life. Title essay is All I Needed to Know in Life I Learned in Kindergarten. This is what he says. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. 
Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. (laughs) Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Take a nap every afternoon. Be aware of wonder. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about three o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. And it is still true, no matter how old you are, when you go out into this world, it is best to hold hands and stick together. We overlook sometimes just the simplicity of worship. The simplest acts of kindness God does not overlook. Matthew chapter 10, the Lord says, The one who gives a cup of water to one of my disciples in my name, I will not forget his reward. See, sometimes we value things so differently from the Lord. We think of worship or sacrifice as, uh, I'm going to go to some deep, dark place that's horrible to live in, and then I'm going to die a martyr's death there, and that's worship. And the Lord said, no, you know, when you just stop, and instead of doing for yourself, you do for someone else, in the name of Jesus Christ, consciously, that is worship. The Lord pays attention to those little things. Moms model that every single day. Giving and doing good constantly. It says of Jesus that he went around doing good. That was the heart of his ministry. I found a a great illustration of this a few years ago. And I think I used this on Mother's Day about three years ago, but I thought I'd bring it up again. Uh, It's about a teacher who was trying to teach a a lesson on uh, magnetism. She pulled out a magnet and showed him how it worked. And then the next day she did a quiz. So see what they remember. First question on the quiz was this. Who am I? I have six letters, my first letter is M, and I pick up things. 50% of her students wrote M-A-G-N-E-T, the other 50% wrote (laughs) M-O-T-H-E-R. I remember, uh, again, I think about this every Mother's Day for some reason, but I remember one time when I came home and I asked my wife uh, how her day was. She said, it was pretty good, so what'd you do today? Some of you have probably heard me tell this story before. What'd you do today? She said, I wiped. <laughs> I wiped counters. I wiped up floors. I wiped noses. I wiped behinds. I wiped. That was my day today. I wiped. And you know what? Moms, the Lord does not overlook that. That is worship. And now that we're parents, we can look back And hopefully we can see all the sacrifices that were made on our behalf to get us to where we are today and realize that our moms were actually, sometimes unknowingly, teaching us how to worship. Because to do good on behalf of others in the name of Christ is worship. It's the very heart of worship. Third thing that we learn from moms is how to share. Again, Hebrews 13, verse 16, he says, Do not neglect doing good and sharing. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That word for sharing, we ran across it in our study of Philippians. It's one of the most important words in Philippians. It's the word koinonia. And Paul praises these believers because they have shared in the advancement of the gospel. They have shared in his tribulations and his sufferings. They've actually even shared financially so that Paul can continue to promote the gospel, so that he can have his needs met in prison. They have shared, that's koinonia. They have had all things in common with one another. When the church in Judea is suffering from a famine, they share out of their own poverty, and they give so that they can have food. That's koinonia, that's sharing, that is worship. 
Okay, that is worship. And where do you first learn how to share? You learn it at home. Or you learn it at home. Uh, particularly when that first sibling, if your oldest child and the first sibling comes along, you begin to learn how to share. And it may take decades for that lesson to actually sink in that you're not the center of the universe. Right? But it's a critical lesson. And when you begin to share, you begin to understand that we live and we move and we breathe and we exist not for ourselves, but we do so for Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Not for ourselves. And that our real joy and happiness in life is found when we're not focused just on ourselves, but actually focused on Christ and focused on others. And where do we learn that fundamental life skill? We learn it at home. And it is worship. Praising, doing good, sharing. I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians again. Chapter 4 and verse 18. It's where we were last week. And notice how Paul commends these believers. He says, I have received everything in full. I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. You see it again? There's the sacrificial imagery. It's the worship imagery. He's praising them because they have shared, they have given. Uh, I read recently that we are most like God when we are giving. Because God is a God who gives and he gives and he gives The central passage for Philippians is chapter 2, 5 through 11, the example of Christ. And Paul takes all of Philippians, looking forward, he points to 2, 5 through 11. Looking back, he points to 2, 5 through 11. He points to the example of Christ who didn't grasp. He didn't cling to his rights as God, but instead he gave. He gave of himself even to the point of death. He poured out himself. He was willing to identify and take on uh, our humanity and our needs and our suffering, our pain, even our sin. And that was an example for us. And moms give us that example every single day. Every single day they spend almost their entire days giving and giving and giving and giving, often to ungrateful people. And we don't pick up the lesson sometimes until we leave and we go to college and we're out of the house and then we look back and we realize the sacrifices that were made. And what I'd like you to do this morning is I'd like for you to reflect on that a little bit. And take this day and think back. You know, even if your mom was not a believer in Jesus Christ or maybe your mom has gone to be with the Lord, you can give thanks to the Lord or you can call your mom and give thanks to her for the things that she taught you, the lessons, fundamental values in life, what's really important, how to do good and how to share with others. When we are doing good, we're reflecting the character of God because he's always doing good toward us. He's always choosing to act toward our best. When we share, we're most like Jesus Christ who shared himself, his very life. We're learning lessons about how to be like God. Moms, I wanted to take it one Sunday just to specifically encourage you. You may not see the the fruit of your labor for years and years and years and years. But God keeps track of your sacrifices. God acknowledges these things. And he says they're valuable. Because you're training your children to be like God. And for all of us, I wanted us to remember that worship is often not quite as complicated as we make it. It's the simple things in life. All of life can be worship. 
The moment that you get out of bed and your feet hit the floor and you say, thank you, God, for giving me rest. Thank you, God, that I have a roof over my house and you acknowledge him as supplier of your needs. You acknowledge that. That's praise. Thank you, God, that there will be breakfast to eat today and I have clothes to put on. I have a job to go to. I have a vehicle to carry me there. I have all of these things because everything I have is a gift from you. There's nothing that I have not received that is not from you. God is creator and sustainer of life. All of life is worship. I want to just take one Sunday just to remind us of that simple fact. And particularly, moms, just to encourage you this morning, your sacrifices are not unnoticed, at least by the Lord. So let's take this day. I want to remind you, in case you had forgotten, it is Mother's Day. So call your mom and say thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have brought people into our lives. Sometimes it's mothers. Sometimes it's an aunt or a grandmother. Sometimes it's someone outside of our family. You, you bring people in who help form our character. For each and every one of us, there have been people who have drawn us closer to Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray that we would be reminded of that. We would have thankful hearts, and as, as a result, we would praise you. Lord, I, I do thank you uh, for reminding us that all of life is worship. And that every moment from the time our feet hit the floor to the time that we go to sleep at night. That when we acknowledge you as our creator and sustainer, the giver of all, that it can all be worshiped to you. Because Father, you're worthy. We love you. We thank you most of all this morning for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. We'll see you next week.